Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to paediatric dietitian Michelle Saunders about the difference between a fussy eater and a problem feeder. Here's part one. Welcome back to The Daily Dollop podcast, everybody. I hope you're having an amazing day. I'm excited to have a special guest on the show today to tackle today's topic. But for those of you who are tuning in to the podcast for the first time, my name's Kate Freeman and I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of the Healthy Eating Hub and the Healthy Eating Clinic. And today my guest is paediatric dietitian Michelle Saunders. You've actually met Michelle before. She's been on the show before. Friend of the show now, Michelle. Oh, yay. (laughs) And she's been working with me for nearly four years at the Healthy Eating Clinic. She's a highly experienced dietitian specializing in pediatrics. Also a mum. She's amazing. Welcome Mm. to the show. Thanks for having me back. No worries at all. So today we're chatting about this distinction between fussy eating and problem feeding. And this is something that you actually have taught me about this year because you've really started delving into this area within your career. So my first question is, why is it important to distinguish between those two things? They're obviously not the same thing. No, that's right. So they present very much the same, (laughs) I guess. So that's how uh, they get lumped together all too commonly. Yeah. I guess the key distinction is that a fussy eater, it's often more learnt behaviours. Whereas with a problem feeder, it's that they actually lack the ability to eat certain foods. Right. And so many people have often heard that saying a healthy child won't starve themselves. Yes. So I like to add on a little note to the end of that of if they have the skills to eat. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So yeah. It, there's there's a really clear distinction of the cause of the fussy tendencies as opposed to what they're presenting. In. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I said they both generally sound the same when you're thinking about what does that behaviour look like mm. of, yeah, a fussy eater refuses to eat foods, doesn't have a lot of variety in their diet. Yeah. That's very much what a problem feeder does as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually having to take that step back and look at what's that root cause because mm. that's going to determine how we go about uh, the approaches we need mm. to overcome those issues. I love that. I actually dove straight into that first question and I actually wanted to ask you if you had a fun fact for the show today. Okay, fun fact about me is that I have a twin brother and we are polar opposites of each other. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Yeah, very, very different people, very different personalities, but, you know, lovely Same womb. (laughs) Same womb, shed the womb. That's about it. (laughs) That's about it. I love that. I love that. Okay, so we've got this fussy eater and a problem feeder. Can you define a problem feeder more for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I said they do share a lot of those common elements. Generally with a problem feeder, as I mentioned, it's looking at that root cause. Mm. And so that can be either a lack in actual oral muscular skill. Right. So they haven't developed the strength or ability or coordination to be able to chew or eat certain foods. Okay. Then we've also got a sensory side of things as well. Um, And so for some children, that sensory input can be 
an inhibitor for them to accept certain foods based on, you know, it could be to do with visual, it could be smell, it could be taste, Mm -hmm. or even just those um, more sort of proprioception, so our body orientation, you know, if we feel unstable in that situation, chewing really hard foods can be really disconcerting and so we don't want to do that type of behaviour. Yeah, right. Um, Or it might even be a lack of a sensory input. So, you know, interoception is like our internal body signals. So Mm. lacking an appetite drive or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So looking at those broader type of sensory inputs as well as oral muscular skill Mm. and seeing what factors of those are potentially inhibiting a child from being able to eat a certain food. Yeah, and I guess that's challenging because it's not like – your two-year-old can say, excuse me, mum, I'm struggling to use the muscles in my drawer. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They're just right. like not eating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, that can be a really, I guess, big challenge to determine is it that my child is being a regular two-year-old who is fussy at times? Yes. Because, you know, fussy eating is a very normal part of childhood development. Yeah. You know, all kids will likely do it at some point in time. Mm. Um as opposed to, as you said, not actually having that ability or those skills to be able to eat the food. Yeah. And so I guess the causes of problem feeding could then be quite varied as to sort of why they might be lacking the skill or why the sensory. Yeah, absolutely. Are there some common conditions in kids that then lead on to problem feeding later in life? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, in terms of those oral muscular skills, I mean, that's that can be quite varied. And eating is very much a skill development alert behaviour mm. that, you know, most children will just flow through, you know, just like children learn to walk and those yeah. types of things. And so for some children, there may not necessarily be a particular reason why they haven't progressed through that yeah but for others especially if they've been born with some kind of malformation like a cleft palate or something like that Mm -hmm. for some it might actually be that for some other medical reason they haven't been exposed to food and therefore haven't needed to develop those oral muscular foods yeah so for a completely unrelated condition they may have only ever been tube fed and so yeah they've never had that um, experience of eating and so you know for them to suddenly start eating food you need to build up those skills Mm. um you know very common on the sensory side of things children that are on the autism spectrum yeah very highly sensory processing and so that can often be a really big barrier for them Mm. with learning to eat a wider variety of foods yeah interesting so you've got like say a fussy eater or a problem feeder on your hands but you're not really sure what you've got what would be just some general advice to manage fussy eating and then how would that change if they then were to say oh or to see you for example and you'd be like oh there's something else going on here yeah absolutely I mean I guess some of the red flags so to speak Mm. of problem feeder um so with a fussy eater generally they will eat a wide variety of textures yeah okay they'll have favorite foods Mm. but they're able to eat a wide variety of textures so yes they will you know eat yogurt eat potato chips eat crunchy things chewy things that type of thing and they're kind of random I remember Mm. a client years ago a fussy three-year-old and her favourite dinner was this pumpkin pesto pasta. 
you know, yeah. that you'd be like, oh, I know a lot of toddlers who wouldn't have a bar of that, but yeah. that's just what she was familiar with, but she's then fussy with everything else. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's generally if it's just fussy eating, <laughs> you know, as frustrating as it is, yeah. it is that there's you know, they're still generally getting things across the different core food groups. Yeah. Um, and so with fussy eating generally it's trying to overcome what we call neophobia, mm. which is a fear of new foods or foods that we're just not comfortable with. So most children when presented with a new food are hesitant to engage with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that degree of neophobia can vary. You know, some are like screaming in the opposite direction and <laughs> others are like poking, prodding, some might taste it. Yeah. Okay. When we have a fussy eater, it is through exposure that we overcome that neophobia. Yeah. So with time, you know, research shows us it takes at least 10 tastes. It's 10 different times yep. for them to become accustomed to a new food and for them to readily accept a new food. Yeah. yeah. So with repeated exposure, even if it's been refused before, we continue to offer those yeah. foods. Yeah, and it's just about building that familiarity with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of this food, you know, them becoming okay with it, accepting that taste, it becoming a normal part of their routine. Yeah. When it comes to problem feeding, it's generally if there's – Problem has persisted for a really long time. Yeah. So often these children have a very long history of fussy eating mm. or of not eating well. Yeah. And also if we start to distinguish that there's some really key shared characteristics between accepted foods and refused foods. Yeah, right. Okay. So that can often be the indicator to be what is it that is driving this problem feeding? Mm. Like is it that they can't actually handle more difficult to chew foods. Yep. They might lack certain tongue movements that support chewing, you know, harder, more complex foods. Yeah. Um, it might be a particular texture. So they have a textural aversion to certain foods. Yeah. Um, it can be anything that involves the sensory input, really, that a yeah. child, a problem feeder can be struggling with when mm. faced with a food. For some, it can even be the sound of crunch. <laughs> inside their head. Inside their head. Wow. Um, and so yep. that can be putting them off or it might be something that they need as a sort of satisfaction drive. Yeah. Um, and so they seek out foods that give them that sort of thing. Mm. So generally, you know, if you've been offering that food again and again and again um, and it's become, you know, it's a regular exposure and you're not making any headway at all mm. and there's a common theme behind the foods that are being refused. Yeah starting to indicate we likely have some kind of a problem feeding issue here. Yeah, okay, interesting. So, you know, with um with our general fussy eaters, you practice Alan Satter's division of responsibility, which is, you know, you're offering the meal to the child and it's the parent deciding what and when and then they decide if they eat off that plate the child does. And one of the challenges that parents go through when you present them with that, and I know this from early on when I used to do this, is this whole thing. So if they don't eat it, like that's it. They don't, you don't yeah. give them anything else to eat. Is this start to shift when you've got a problem feeder on your hands? It does. And I guess one of the reasons behind, you know, going back to that statement of a healthy child won't starve themselves. Yes. Okay, so if you're just dealing with fussy eating and you present a meal and say, you know, this is all there is to eat. Yeah. If they're truly hungry, no matter how stubborn their fussiness is, yeah. they will go, okay, I'm really hungry. I'm going to eat this food. Yeah. Okay. 
With a problem feeder, because they lack the skills to eat that food, mm. even if they're absolutely starving, they still won't eat that food. Interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, that approach isn't going to work for them. Yeah. They're often it's that ability to satisfy their appetite. They miss that drive or they become so stressed in the situation that mm. they lose their appetite. Yes, okay. You know, when we get stressed, we release adrenaline. And one of the actions of adrenaline in the body is to suppress appetite. Mm. And so if a child's being confronted in this very stressful situation, you know, they haven't ever had success with chewing this food or they're finding it on some sensory front quite offensive, Yeah, they're going to get quite stressed and anxious if they feel that there's some kind of pressure on them to eat that food. Yeah, And so they lose their appetite. Yeah. Um, and often, again, looking at those red flags of whether or not we have a fussy eater or a problem feeder – is problem feeders generally do have a history of either poor growth or of some kind of nutrient deficiency. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about um, managing this behaviour. Can you give me a brief rundown of the division of responsibility if we've just got a fussy eater on our hands? Yeah, sure thing. So if we've got a fussy eater, as you mentioned, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility we're going to give the child a responsibility and often this is the hardest part for some parents. Okay? <laughs> it is tough, yep. But the child gets to decide how much of that meal to eat. Yeah. Okay, that's their job. They're the ones that know if they feel hungry. They're the ones that know once that tummy is full. Yeah. So leave that up to them. Okay, so going forward I say to parents or caregivers, if they're refusing a meal, mm. assume they're not hungry. Yeah. Okay, that's the safest thing to do. Um, then as parents the responsibilities are, you know, we decide what the meal or snack is. And, you know, going back to that neophobia, yeah, we can take their inexperience with foods into consideration when mm. deciding what that food is. Yeah. But we shouldn't let that dictate what we're offering. Yes. Okay? So we should be offering a wide variety of foods regardless of whether or not they've refused it in the past. Yeah. Okay. We also decide when the child's going to eat. So having a meal or snack routine mm. so that we're providing an opportunity for that child to get hungry again. Okay. For the next meal. For the next yeah. meal. You know, if they've been grazing all afternoon and we're hoping for them to eat all those veggies at dinner time and they're going to sit down, they're not even hungry, why would they eat a food they're not really comfortable with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Motiv- low, low motivation <laughs> there. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're also in charge of where they have that meal. Mm. And research certainly shows us that having family meals at the table, allowing for parental modelling are all really important for successfully teaching a child to accept a wider variety of foods. Yeah. And that makes sense if you think about neophobia being a fear of unfamiliar foods. I remember when my kids were really little, and I wonder if your kids did this too when they were little, is like 18 months, two years, they loved eating my food off my plate. Yep. And it could be the exact same thing on their plate that they're refusing. Yeah. But because it's my food, safe food. Yeah, because, you know, mum put that in her mouth and nothing bad happened to mum. So, yeah. And even though it's identical, they yeah. lack that ability to distinguish that and go, well, I know that yours is safe, so I'm going to quite comfortably yeah. eat your food. Yeah, yeah. So it's a beautiful thing, isn't it, really? And I, I remember saying to parents of really little kids, I'm like, just let them eat off your plate for a little bit. They're not going to want to do it forever. Yep. Um, and then eventually they get old enough to then recognise that their meal is the same as your meal on separate plates and it's just the progression from there. That's it for today's episode. Tune in for part two tomorrow. 
After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My healthy eating program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods, or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode.